0: For complete details, please visit up. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
1: When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down, and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with, with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. This is the time we celebrate the birth of our Lord. Our Lord Jesus. The heart of Jesus is to win the lost wandering sheep. Inviting them to come into his kingdom. Inviting them to bow before him as the wise men did. And acknowledge him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. In other words, our money, our pain, our lives. Lay them down before Jesus. That's the call. To enter his kingdom and live under his authority, his regal authority, his royal authority. I'm going to share with you a story today about a man who followed Jesus. It's a a story that comes out of the 1920s, probably before that, because the book was actually written in 1920. It is Remarkable Miracles by G.C. Bevington. It's the story of a holiness preacher, not sophisticated, not even worldly wise, just utterly sold out to Jesus. I want to read for you his account of working with church people, not with pagans, but with church people. He writes, I was holding a meeting in Indiana. The weather was very cold with plenty of snow and people came for Miles in old-fashioned two-horse sleds and their sleigh bells could be heard for great distances. As the meeting progressed, there were four who had been saved, said, I must come over to their neighborhood. I paid no attention to this as my hands were full there, but they kept urging me until finally I said, Well, where do you live? How far from here? What's well, about twenty-five miles? We have a Methodist church over there. You must come as the time to close the meeting came. I asked, "Do you have the permission of your pastor for me to hold a meeting in your church? Oh, that's all right, as the church is our on our father's place. He built it. Well, I said it belongs to the Methodist Conference, and you have to get permission. Then I went up to my room and I got on my face. And I lay there for 26 hours until I felt led to go. No, that was not a typo. This man knew how to pray. He knew how to build a foundation under his prayer. And he took whatever time was necessary until that was accomplished and he was free to go. The pastor came over the next day and he said, I understand some of our people have been attending your meetings over here, and they want you to come over with us. I understand that you preach holiness. Yes. Yes, as hot as I can. He said, we're we're all John Wesley Methodist. Well, I said I haven't been running into them of late. In fact, I don't find many John Wesley Methodist. Do you preach holiness to sinners? I preach just as God gives me the message. Some places it's on holiness. Others, holiness is seldom mentioned. Well, we'd be very glad to have you come over as it would please some of our people, but I want you to know we consider it very unwise to preach holiness to sinners. We would suggest you preach regeneration to the sinners, as that is what they need. Then if you want, we could have some afternoon for holiness. I said, Is this merely a suggestion, or does it take the form of a command? Well, I think it's the only way we could permit you to come over. Well, I can't come on those terms at all, I told the pastor. He said, Then how would it do to have one night in the week for holiness? I could not agree to that either, as it might be all holiness as a second work of grace. I could not come over unless I were to have complete charge and control to preach as long as God said so, and just as he prescribes. I could not have any restrictions whatever. I might be led to call on you to pray, and I might not. Well, isn't this bordering on fanaticism, he said? Then looking him square in the eye, I said, You can term it whatever you wish. That is where I have to stand if I'm to come over. He went back and he told the people who had sent him, Brethren, we can't have that fellow over here. He's a genuine crank. He said he wouldn't let me have anything to do with the meeting, not even to pray. He probably wouldn't allow me to be on my own platform. We will not have him over here. To this outburst, the people replied, If we can't have him in the church, we'll fix up a tobacco stripping house, seat it, put stoves in it. That will hold about as many as the church. We feel that man ought to come here. Souls prayed through every night over there to victory. You've been here for three years, and not one soul has been regenerated. The pastor saw that this would never do, so he gave in and he sent for me. I went over and opened fire on his 300 saved members. The pastor had said I ought not to preach holiness to sinners. But I said this doctrine of the freedom from sin seems to please the sinner pretty well. He said they had 350 members, and every one of them were saved, of course. Well, I felt the four who had been over to my other meeting had gotten salvation and were sanctified, and they were probably a pretty safe sample of the whole hundred and three hundred and fifty. After the third sermon, the pastor drew me aside and gave me a surprise announcement. He said the ladies' aid had planned quite an extensive program for Christmas, and they could not locate any place for their work except the church. He said they were quite sorry as to they would dearly loved to have the meetings go on, but to please the lady's aid, he said, I have to close the meetings down. Well, I had papers signed by him that permitted me to remain in the church, yet I would not use them to enforce the meetings. Being permitted to preach the fourth night, however, I announced the action of the pastor and the aides. One man jumped up and he said, we'll go over to the schoolhouse. The situation was put to a vote as to whether to go to the schoolhouse, and it was said that every hand went up except that of the pastor and his wife. Even his son and daughter raised their hands. So we went over to the schoolhouse the next night. The following day, the pastor hired five boys to cut up the seats so as to stop the meeting. He gave them $2 apiece, and they went at it in good shape. The board met, the school board met, and said, The boys are cutting up the seats badly. We don't want you to meet in our schoolhouse. So the people went and found another place for the meeting to go on. That night, as I went to my lodging place, I found the house dark and my suitcases sitting out by the front gate. I took that for a pretty good hint, picked up my suitcases, and started out like Abraham. "'not knowing where to go. "'I could have gone, I suppose, to any of those four families, "'but I didn't know where they lived. "'God did not want me to go there anyway, "'as he had a better place for me. "'By my staying where I ended up, he got far more glory "'than if I'd found any of the people's houses. "'I kept trudging on in the snow, and it was very cold, "'so cold that men had been cutting solid ice,' 22 inches thick, out of a pond. It didn't take long for me to tire, set the suitcases down, and pray, Lord, where am I going? What is that to thee? Follow thou me was all I got as an answer. Right, I sighed and picked up the suitcases and started on. I found myself in sort of a lane where great furrows had been cut in the road from drawing corn out in the in the fall, in their big uh, wagons, I could not see the deep ruts as they were filled with snow, and I fell many times, cutting myself so that my face was bleeding in several places. My hands were so icy cold I could barely stand it. I said again, O oh God, where am I going? Again the same answer, What is that to thee? So I trudged on until I saw what appeared to be a great mound in the road. As I was looking down to try to avoid those ruts, I forgot the mound and ran right into it. It proved to be a large straw stack, and a voice said, this is the place. I said, all right, I threw off my coat and went to pulling the straw, which helped me to get nicely warmed up. I pulled straw until I was back inside the stack, about 12 feet, about 3 feet above the ground, so it would be warm. I packed the straw down, took in my suitcases, and put on my coat and dropped down on my back, and lay my head on one of my suitcases for a pillow very pleasant i said well praise god i don't reckon jesus had much better than this and probably most of the time not nearly so good at that the star the straw stack was lighted up and i beheld the most beautiful sight i've ever seen it looked just like crystallized straws nearly as large as my little finger lying in all positions crossing each other to form a beautiful network I was frightened, and I feared I'd gotten a match lighted while pulling the straw. My fears were soon banished, however, for I threw up my hands, and there was nothing except cold straw. I'll never be able this side of heaven to explain or draw a worthy picture of that scene, the dazzling going on down deep into my soul. I've often thought it was a foretaste of what heaven's going to be like. Were taught down here to view things according to certain laws. The appearance of those straws did not allow the working of natural laws. As each was apart from the other, yet they did not appear to touch one another. I've thought many times that herein is our trouble. We see things down here under the light of natural law. God often breaks through the natural order of things, completely setting the natural aside, so we often fail to get the real import of his designs. That experience in that cold stack of straw has been a great help to me many times, enabling me to accept things that I would have formerly rejected on philosophical grounds. While God works through natural laws, very much, I have found, he had special lessons for us which go far beyond the natural laws. I've also learned that ruts are dangerous channels to travel in. God wants us pliable so he can twist us up and toss us here and yonder. He wants to be able to recognize his hand through it appears cloaked to others. There's no doubt that God would give us wonderful revelations if he could get us in a condition to just receive his revelation. I'm assured the deeper lessons God wants us to have are all in the line of the apparently ridiculous. They're not on the public highway, for the casual traveler will never see them. They're not on his route. These lessons are learned on the unreasonable, out-of-the-ordinary route, generally routes similar to my getting into this straw stack. When I told this story to dear Reverend John Fleming he burst out crying and he said Brother Bevington I would have given a hundred dollars to see that st- straw stack when it was so beautifully lit up Had I appealed to reason as I came up against that stack when the thermometer was registering below 20 degrees everything would have stood against proceeding my natural thoughts would have produce this kind of argument god has set forth his law which requires obedience relative to taking care of our bodies i do not accept this stack of straw as the place he wants me to be he's called me to preach and said the labor is worthy of his hire and i'm his child mr devil i'm not going to allow you to run me into such a place as this to bring on a tremendous cold and pneumonia which would more than likely cause my premature death Thus, I could quite logically have reasoned this all out. Though, had I done so, I would have lost one of the grandest lessons of my life. We need to get where where we'll be willing to ignore all laws of logic in order to get some of the private lessons that Jesus has for us. Just those few words of acquiescence to his will when I said, I suppose Jesus never had a better bed than this, gave me one of the grandest visions I've ever beheld. Those few words spoke volumes which have enabled me to store up great quantities of knowledge of his will relative to my situation. While the great manifestation of glory lasted only a short time, Raptures of exceeding great joy continued to come in waves one after another. I lay there wrapped in great splendor until I struck a match and looked at my watch to see that it was 4.30 a.m. I turned over and went to sleep. When I woke up and struck a match again, it was 5.30 p.m. I crawled out, shook off the chaff, used my handkerchief as a towel, After washing in the snow, I started back to the house that had been offered to continue the meeting. I found twenty-five people there with saws and horses. They'd been drawing logs and sawing them into blocks for seats. Both rooms were nearly seated full. I said to the man of the house, Are these two rooms all you have? Surprised at my question, he said, But these will hold more than the schoolhouse. "'Is there another room upstairs?' I persisted. "'Yes, sort of an unfinished attic. "'What do you want to go up there for?' "'I want a place to pray.' "'Then I spied a door in the ceiling and asked, "'Can I get up through there?' "'He said, there isn't any floor, and it'll be cold. "'Well, just let me get up there.' "'So he got a ladder, and up I went. "'I got close to the large chimney lying across the joist,' and burst into great sobs. I just lay there and wept. I ignored the increasing noise downstairs, supposing they were finishing up seating. Finally I struck a match and saw that it was 9.30 p.m. So I got up and went downstairs. I found over a hundred people waiting for me. I had no message. I only had a great burden that souls be brought under such conviction that they would see their real condition and fly to God for refuge. There was some unoccupied space where I landed from the attic, so I dropped down on my face again. In about 30 minutes, the preacher's son came over to me, and he whispered, "'Aren't you going to preach? There are over a hundred people here waiting.' I exhorted him and the rest to pray, But he said, "'There's no one here who can do any good at prayer. You've spoiled us all. The only prayer that any of us ought to pray is the prayer of repentance.' Well, I thought he was about right. So I got up and said, "'Brother, this battle must be fought out on our faces. I have no message tonight to preach. You've had too much preaching.' I have only a burden of prayer that each of you might be brought face to face with your real condition as God sees you. I beg you to fly for your lives to the Son of God who has made provision for your complete deliverance from sin. At that I crawled out of the window nearest me and made a beeline for my straw house. I lay on my face to plead and weep and moan and groan and wrestle all night. When I finally struck a match, I found that it was 5.30 a.m. I fell asleep until late that afternoon, and then I crawled out and took another wash in the snow. It was still freezing cold, and went back to the house where I found about 75 people. More than 20 were down praying as if they really meant business, some on their faces sobbing, others kneeling and praying, others with heads up pleading and weeping others walking where they could find room all that crowd pleading for mercy mind you they were they were all saved people quote unquote from the church and among them the son and daughter of the pastor I want to stop a minute this is the same condition that I keep trying to address with you many of you call yourself saved But there's a coldness in your heart. There's a pride in your heart. There's a demand that everything be according to your will and what you want. There's a casualness in your heart. You're not going to find Jesus until you get serious and get on your face and begin to pray. He's right. You've heard too much preaching. I'm sharing this story with you today to try to encourage you to get on your face and begin to pray. He writes, I raised the window and crawled back in as there was no room to get in the door. I again climbed up the ladder into the attic. I got on my face across those those joists close to the warm chimney. After a while, the man of the house crawled up the ladder and he said, It's after eight. They all want you to come down and preach. We'll tell them to go on praying, I said. I'm afraid they'll get tired of this, leave and not return. Then all this work here will be lost. Here was more logic to contend with, but I remained where I was. I could hear them praying and singing. At about 10 p.m., I went down and found about 40 in real soul agony. Those included the pastor's son and daughter, both of whom had been testifying to bring to being saved for several years. I could see God was working, and I knew how foolish it would be for me to try to take the work out of his hands. So I raised the window, slipped back out to my private quarters to plead with God for them. I got back on my face and struggled and agonized and wrestled and wept and held on, expecting God to work wonders. I struck a match and found it was 6 a.m., so I rolled over and slept the whole day again. I had another good wash in the snow, shook myself, and started for the meeting. I found about 200 people there most of them in great conviction and misery. One man and his wife met me outside and began to tell me about the trouble they were having with their bad neighbors. I said, go inside, get down on your faces and plead for mercy. Throw open your hearts to God. Get honest before him and let him examine you. So they did. Another came to me saying, what shall I do? I said, get right with God. Why, I'm a good member here in the church. I repeated it again. Get right with God. Repent. Get yourself properly fixed up. Then matters can more easily be adjusted. Two sisters were the next to unload the terrible meanness of their neighbors, saying, We want you to pray for them as they are a terror to the whole neighborhood. I said, You too are the ones who need praying for. Never mind those neighbors. Get right yourselves. Go through with God. Shocked, they informed me, but Mr. Bevington, we're members in good standing in this church here. Well, you are all the worse for that. We want to get our children saved, my son and daughter-in-law, daughter and son-in-law. Then get in there, get down on your faces, and deal with God directly, not with Bevington. Well, there's no room inside. I could hardly believe their excuses. Make room then. Go into the kitchen if you have to. The kitchen is crammed full. I said loudly, Go in, go in, go in. I left those self-righteous complainers and went to my window, crawled in and slipped up the ladder. Only a few saw me. But soon the man of the house came and said about 300 people were there. I finally went down found many of them on their knees pleading. The man's son was was crying, and he said, Oh, won't you preach? I'm so miserable, I need help. Please tell me what to do. My sister's weeping too, her heart is broken. There was only room to stand right at the ladder, so there I began my text. Quote, prepare to meet thy God, unquote. I believe that never before nor since have I delivered such a message as was given during the next forty minutes. Everyone was writhing in great agony, some walking and screaming. Only about sixty could kneel, but they were doing good work. Oh, how God did send the lightning bolts in great torrents. Feeling I had done all God wanted me to do, I hoisted the window and made for my accommodations. I crawled into the familiar straw cave, got on my face, and could do nothing but cry and groan and plead all night long. And then I slept until the evening again. After taking another ice bath, I started back to the house and found about 60 people there. I stopped, stood at the ladder. As I waited there, the pastor came in. He began to lash me with his tongue, calling me every name in the book. I was somewhat accustomed to such verbal expressions, so they didn't disturb me. I just remained speechless through it all. He finally wound up by ordering every one of his members out of there with the command never to return. All arose and followed him out except his son. The man and family of the house and one other man and his family... I think there were about 16 people left. Suddenly I felt like preaching, and so I did, on the judgment and wrath of God. The son, the man of the house, and his wife and the other man prayed through by early morning. We had a blessed time, and that that son did some wonderful preaching. The night before, the pastor had taken his daughter by the dress collar and dragged her out of the meeting, threatening to punish her severely if she ever returned. The sun was too big for that kind of treatment, so the pastor had to go off without him. I slipped out, went to my straw hotel, where again I wept until noon, and then went to sleep. I awakened that evening and went for another snow bath in my large bathroom, Went back down to the house and found only 22 were there. But all 22 were down pleading for mercy, except those who had gotten through and they were now seeking entire sanctification. The pastor's daughter was there again. I felt led to remain all night with them, so I stayed until 3 a.m. and then went upstairs. Soon the woman of the house came up and said, I think I'm going to throw all those blocks out and clean the whole thing up. I'm convinced. I'm all right. The pastor says I am because I've been a member here for years. You're just making fools out of all of us, my husband, my son, and my daughter. I said, woman, get down those steps as quickly as you can and start screaming for mercy or you will be in hell within 20 minutes. With a look of real shock on her face, back down, she went with with me right behind her. I tell you, she changed her tune, and 40 minutes later, she struck fire. She did some wonderful preaching there, clear until after daylight. Then I slipped back out to my headquarters in the straw stack. Now, this brings me to the eighth day. Very early that morning, the pastor's daughter got through, and in the evening, she said, Brother Bevington, I've disobeyed my father for the first time in my life. I had to come here as I feared I would lose my soul. Please pray I may be willing and able to endure my punishment. She well knew the temper of her father. I said, all right. I'll go up in the attic and I'll plead your case. You be loyal to what the Holy Spirit has given you. So up I went. She and her brother had about a mile to walk home. He was seeking entire sanctification. But as he had a whole lot to undo, it was somewhat of a tedious matter. I was pleading that the experience of the two would so melt the father that he would be compelled to surrender also. Finally, I felt the burden gone. Light was breaking in as I raised up off the sleepers, praising God for the daughter's victory. I went back to my straw stack, this being the ninth morning I had not yet had a mouthful to eat or lain on anything except straw and joyce When I returned that night, the man of the house met me outside and asked, Brother Bevington, where are you staying? I said, It's none of your business. Now see here, it is my business, and I'm going to make it my business. I went today to the Reynolds, where I supposed you were stopping, and they said you were not there. I went to all the places there would be any likelihood of your being, and none of them knew where you were staying. Now, you tell me. I repeated, It's none of your business. Go in there and pray through and get the Holy Spirit. No, sir. I'm not going in there until you tell me. So I just pointed in the direction of the straw stack. Wife, this man has been sleeping and staying in that straw stack. Oh, he was. He was upset. Where have you been getting your meals? He asked. I just pointed to the skies. He called to his wife, This man hasn't had a mouthful to eat these two weeks. He was exaggerating by three days. Come in and get something to eat, he said. But I declined. As I was listening to his quizzing, Here came the pastor, wild-eyed, bareheaded, speeding through the snow in his cutter. His son and daughter were with him, and the sleigh bells were ringing like crazy. He was being sifted. The son and daughter had arrived home and gone into the room where he was sleeping, believing his daughter to be upstairs in her bed. She called out to him and said, Father, I disobeyed you last night. I just had to go back up there, or go to hell. Now, Father, I'm ready and prepared for my punishment. The son was standing at her side with his head bowed, pleading for the salvation of his father, that this situation would be a means for this pastor to come to Jesus. Go to bed and let me alone. No, Father, I want my punishment. I disobeyed you and I'm ready. At that he gave a yell and bounded out of bed and fell on his knees and began to cry to Jesus for mercy. The son and daughter dropped on their faces and in ten minutes their mother climbed out of bed beside them and she cried, O oh, children, pray for me too. I need what I believe you both have. So they wrestled in prayer until the following afternoon when the mother prayed through. The Father did not get through. He asked us back to the church that night, but as both rooms were full, we stayed where we were. We held the meeting in our usual place that night. I preached on the text, If any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creature. And God blessed the message. The mother prayed through for entire sanctification early the next day. But the father still did not get through. As soon as it was daylight, he hitched up and went to every one of those men and women that he'd called out there and asked forgiveness. It took him three days to make the circuit, but he did it. He said that at the house he went to, he asked forgiveness and invited the people out to the meeting. They closed the door and he started to leave when a voice said, And is that all? He looked all around and saw no one there near him. But being used to the voice of God, not being used to it, he was very puzzled. By the time he reached the gate, he heard the same voice again with the same words. He said that he had to go back and fall on his knees before the people and really ask their forgiveness. He gladly knelt and ask forgiveness of all of the 300. We moved the be- meeting back to the church. We spent the next three weeks there. As my straw stack experience had prepared me for a good meal, I had it at the parsonage. I continued to eat only one meal a day during those next three weeks. If I felt clear to tell you, it would know about be refreshing to relate many of the incidents which occurred during those three weeks. But I'll cut the account short by saying I preached only two sermons and those on the last day of the meeting. The rest of the time I lay on my face on the platform day and night. The pastor's wife and son and daughter, they prayed through and they were entirely sanctified. I hope you're hearing what this story is saying. We're at a time in America when human wisdom will not carry us. We're going to have to get on our faces before God and plead His mercy. We're going to have to pray. All of these 300 plus people claimed that they were saved. Well, In fact, they weren't. They were just religious people. Oh, they went to a Methodist church. Even the pastor was not saved. He wasn't sanctified. He wasn't holy. He still had his private sin. He had not given up those little idols of his heart. What about you? Where are you with Jesus? As you come now to this worldly celebration of Christmas, what are you going to do with Jesus? Do you love Christmas more than Jesus? Do you need to get right with him? Do you need to get on your face before God and cry out? Are you sanctified through and through, wholly sanctified, totally given over to God? The only way I know, let's be very practical now, The only way I know for that to happen in your life is for you to begin to do a very careful inventory and go before the Lord and lay before him every area of disobedience, every area of self-indulgence, every area of unbelief, of anger, of bitterness. Lay before the Lord and surrender that to him And ask that his blood would graciously cover your sin. That your sin would be washed away. Now, this pastor had a very difficult time getting through because being a pastor was his profession, not the way he lived we've got to actually live this walk, not just talk it. So it means getting down on our faces and praying. And of course, I find that people by and large don't like to pray. I find they have no taste for prayer. hold a prayer meeting and most won't show up. It's too inconvenient. There are too many other things in their life that they're doing. Do a concert, everybody will come. Do a, a potluck dinner and everybody's on board. Do a prayer meeting, not so much. And yet the only power we have with God comes out of our prayer closet, out of our time reading the Word, crying out to God, praying. God's the one who makes everything move. He's the one who changes our circumstances. He's the one who orders our steps. So today, are you ready to pray? call you to pray and I'm going to take a few minutes and just pray now with you why don't you pray with me Lord Jesus I'm so grateful that you came and were born of Mary and laid in that manger I'm so grateful that you came so humbly so as not to offend our pride but you came quietly amongst us and you laid your life down for us. You healed our diseases and our sicknesses and then you went to the cross as our blood atonement. Now, Lord, you're seated on the throne. As the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth, you're still the, the sacred lamb. You didn't become a wolf, or a lion. You're the lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the earth. Lord, I come today. And I plead for each person listening to this broadcast that you would come with power I know this is something you have to do outside of me this is something that only you can do in this city as you go to the hearts of people who are now in their cars or their office or they're listening in some other place on their telephone or wherever lord i'm asking you will you come and bring a great a great desire in the hearts of these precious men and women to pray, to cry aloud, to confess their sin, to confess their clumsy lukewarmness, to confess their love of recognition and power and money. Lord, will you come? Lord, every seductive thing has been slipped in to our hearts and lives as Americans. The television, the Internet, the, the professional sports, the football. Lord, everything is grabbing at our hearts and saying, come, give me some of your time. But Lord, I see your judgment coming. I see your judgment coming, Jesus. And we are not ready. Oh Lord, would you come with power today? Would you come with great power today? In the heart and mind and life of each person who has listened to this story and to this broadcast. Lord, would you come and turn them aside from all of the busy foolishness of this world? Call them to pray, to lay on their faces on the carpet before you, to kneel before you, to sit before you, to cry out and to pray and to say, Jesus, I must have you. Lord, teach us then how to pray for others. Teach me how to pray for these precious ones listening to this broadcast. Lord, come with power. Teach me how to pray. Oh, Lord, it is your will I desire. You said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That is, holy is your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, you said to pray. That your will would be done on earth. That your kingdom would come on this earth. Lord, I don't see your kingdom coming on the earth. Not here in America. Not here in Washington, D.C. Oh, it is, Lord, where men and women are dying for you. And I pray for them and lift up my persecuted brothers and sisters and say, Oh, Lord, have mercy upon them. Save their souls. Deliver them out of the hand of the devourer. But Lord, here in America, we're fat and happy. and There has to be a change. And Lord, I know what's going to happen this Sunday. People are going to go to church and they're going to hear all the beautiful music and they're going to have their coffee and their donuts the christmas cookies lord i know what's going to happen this sunday with sentimental messages no conviction of sin no call to pray for the nation lord i plead today i plead for your people i plead for your mercy to break our pride and our arrogance our self-sufficiency. Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Mighty God of heaven, come and do your work. Come and do your work, Jesus. Come and do your work. For we can't do it. We can't conjure up the conviction. Lord, it's something you must come and do in our hearts as we read your word, as we look at our condition. Lord, come and minister to our hearts today. And Jesus, the gift I desire above all else is the baptism now of your Holy Spirit for power to minister your name. for conviction, for change. Holy Spirit, come. I pray in your mighty name. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I want to thank those of you who sent beautiful cards and gifts, donations, offerings to Jesus for Pilgrim's Progress. I'd still like to hear from a whole lot of you before Christmas. Would you respond so that we can cover the cost of radio for the month of December? I just received wonderful news from Tom Moyer, the manager of our our radio station, telling me that the contract for Pilgrim's Progress was renewed for another year and there will be no increase in price. I just... Prayed, thank you, Jesus. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Perhaps you've never written. You don't need to send anything. We'd just like to hear from you. We'd like to hear what Jesus is doing in your heart. Please write to me at National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Now you can also look us up on Facebook, Twitter. You can follow us on YouTube. And you're welcome to go to our webpage. There you'll find many sermons, messages, blogs that will encourage your heart. You'll be able to listen to this story again or yesterday's Christmas story. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. And immediately after the broadcast yesterday, I went to our, to our, uh, what do you call it? Our our uh, PayPal and discovered that no one has sent anything. I'd like to invite you to to send something that would say, yes, I'm serious about this. Go to com and just click on the donate button. We need to cover our our cost of radio for the month of December. I'll be off air until January. Uh, January 2, I'll come back live. Between now and then, we'll be rebroadcast. that I think you'll very much enjoy. I can't be on air because there's no one to produce the broadcasts. So uh, I'll talk to you soon. I love you. Pray for me. I pray for you. God bless you.